0: If only to be a reasonable man. Hey, what's
1: going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonables Podcast. I'm your host Blake Murphy, joining me on the line, as always. Uh, has It's been some time, though. It's been a couple weeks. Eric Green. Eric, how are you, buddy? I'm doing okay. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm a little tired today, a little... Uh, to be completely honest, waking up to the Anthony Davis trade demand news and then being bombarded with questions that I answered in a two-part trade deadline primer was, uh, you know, not the the best start to the week. I feel like I'm uh, the guy from The Simpsons. Don't don't make me tap the sign
0: <laughs> with my trade
1: deadline column.
0: Yeah, what's uh, going on with you? You know that's the punishment you get for being uh, so lock and step with the nature of the CBA and trade allowances and uh, trade allowances Allowment is not a word. Uh, I don't think so. Anyway, uh, what is allowed and is not allowed uh, within a trade. Uh, your expertise is desired. That's a good thing, but also, uh, you know, it can harm your time and uh, sanity uh, uh, Moments like this, when one of the uh, probably three best trade to- chips, potential trade chips in the league, like if everybody were available, uh, becomes available, it's, people are going to be interested.
1: Yeah, so let's let's start with that because I was going to save it for later on in the podcast, but I think with Monday's news uh, and this coming out Monday afternoon, that's what people want to talk about a little bit. So. Uh, we've known for some time that Anthony Davis seemed unlikely to sign his designated veteran extension with New Orleans this summer. Uh, it's the same deal Kawhi could have signed with the Spurs and decided not to. I think Davis's is estimated at five years, $240 million or, or something in the John Wall range like that. Uh, we Anthony should, Davis's uh, we, agent- should,
0: we should point out that the Spurs never officially offered Kawhi Leonard the Superman. <laughs> uh, but, you know, if they were on good terms, they would have. Yeah, similarly, the um, so I'll I'll just address this
1: now. Um, So the reason, part of the issue with with the Pelicans possibly trading Anthony Davis is that he has a year left on his deal after this year. Now, on one hand, if you're a team like the Raptors or you're a team like the Lakers – or anyone really who might be trying to acquire Davis, uh, getting two playoff runs out of him instead of one is awesome. Your willingness to pay should be higher. It gives you theoretically a longer timeline to convince him to stay. But most importantly, if you're doing a kind of an all in move to acquire him, you get two kicks at the can with him in the playoffs, or, you know, let's say hypothetically the Raptors acquire him and Leonard walks. Well, then you can turn around and flip Anthony Davis on an expiring deal to expedite your rebuild. Um, But, the Boston Celtics, who on paper would be one of the teams most likely to try to trade for Anthony Davis, can't acquire him until the summer uh, because of a wrinkle in the collective bargaining agreement where players like on the contract extension that Anthony Davis and Kyrie Irving are currently on, uh, you can't acquire two of them on your team. You can have two on your team, but only one can be acquired and trade. Uh, this has come up a bunch. Kawhi Leonard does not apply. The Spurs did not um, sign Kawhi Leonard to the, the same type of extension. He actually hit free agency and then signed a, a max deal as a free agent. So um, that little wrinkle doesn't apply to the Raptors in this case. It does apply to the Celtics. It does probably inform New Orleans thinking, but you know, logically if you wait until the summer and maybe there are better offers um, a, you're, you're banking on Danny Ainge actually making said offer and B <laughs> You know, these things don't always – there's more emotion to this than logic would dictate it. And I think if Davis has told the Pelicans he wants out now, they'll explore that over the next week and a half. Now, Eric, OG, DeLon, CJ, Norm, and a first? Where are we – are we in in agreement that short of attaching Leonard in a deal, they're they're really – you know, if you have the chance to pair Kawhi Leonard and Anthony Davis together for one playoff run, before we talk about the real, like how realistic this is, you you do pretty much anything that doesn't involve Leonard to try to pair those two up for one playoff run, right?
0: Yeah, um, and I think, I-, I mean, if the Pelicans are really not going to make them available until the Celtics can get involved in the summertime, because we all know how many trade chips the Celtics have in theory. Once again, whether Danny Ainge uses them or not uh, is an open question, even though if you're not using them for uh, Anthony Davis, you're probably not using them for anybody. Uh, But regardless of that, uh, if the Raptors' window is now until the trade deadline, to make this trade at any point, I would think, and that includes the summer, uh, you want... The whole reason to do it, other than just acquiring Anthony Davis, is to show Kawhi Leonard that this team is really as all in as it could possibly be. And then you get the opportunity to make your best possible pitch to Leonard in free agency uh, and then make your best possible pitch to Davis a year later. And, you know, that comes after they've won two titles. So it looks a lot. It looks a lot better. Uh, but once you know one of them gets to the free agency, uh, assuming they would rather play in Los Angeles, you could always just say uh, they, as people with uh, their own leverage and power in the situation, could say, mm-hmm. "Well, we could do this in Los Angeles as opposed to doing it in in Toronto." But if you're already there in Toronto, uh, it makes it, it becomes. Uh, more tempting to just stay in place. So, yes, I think Pascal Siakam obviously has to be on the table if the Raptors are interested and want to be this aggressive. Uh, And I think they should, you know, just to get to the last question first, I think they should put their best foot forward. You know, I'm not, like, including four first-round draft picks, uh, plus Siakam. You can't anyway. Yeah, but, uh, you know, you make your best offer and see what happens.
1: Yeah, I would agree with you. Um, you know, I, obviously, there's a bit of attachment to the prospects you've developed and watched grow up. Um, you know, I wrote this week about the endowment effect and, and how that plays a hand here. Uh, Anthony Davis and Kawhi Leonard both might be when they're playing their best top five players in the NBA. And if you compare two of them up, if the rest of the roster is me, you, and Brian Wolstat, you know, you pair Kawhi Leonard and Anthony Davis up. Um, now, one thing that So I'm not going to let us make the same mistake as with the Kawhi Leonard hypotheticals where we outlined, you know, what about DeRozan, Pirtle and a pick and both determined that that was too light a package to get Kawhi Leonard. Um, I'm not going to I'm not going to put a limitation on the availability of Anthony Davis for the Raptors. I will say, too, you mentioned Siakam. I do think Siakam has to be in any deal, which is is difficult. The one thing benefiting Toronto, you know, you look back to the Kawhi Leonard trade and it was like, okay, Masai did this without trading Siakam or Ananobi. That's amazing uh, because those guys can be contributors and they can be a part of the, the present and the future. You look now, the way Siakam has developed, suddenly you have a chip that maybe it's not a complete blue chip prospect, but Pascal Siakam, who has a year and a half left on his rookie deal, who is a borderline all-star, uh, he finished seventh, in uh, voting for the east uh, the front court players in the eastern conference and that was a mix of fans players and media i believe he came seventh uh sixth among media so he's he's starting to get the attention as a borderline all-star player he's still just 24 um so suddenly you have a piece that might entice a team you know if they are having to to rebuild in a scenario like this and yes he's extension eligible in the summer and that maybe colors things a little bit and you know, we don't know how he'd look as a number one or number two option instead of a number three option. Uh, but Siakam's trade value theoretically is much higher now than it was in the summer. Now, the opposite has probably happened for OG Ananobi, which is why you have to keep Siakam as, as the centerpiece of a deal. Um, you probably also have to send back one of Serge Ibaka or Jonas Valanciunas for the purposes of matching salaries. Um, I think unless, from Toronto's
0: perspective... Unless for some reason Kyle Lowry gets involved, and I don't see why New Orleans New Orleans would want him... Uh, right,
1: and I don't see why right. Toronto would do that unless they were getting Drew Holiday yeah. back, and then you're talking about
0: like a seven- or eight-player deal. Yeah, and then, again, a Bacca or a would have to be involved to match that. Exactly.
1: Cap. It's really hard to come up with a scenario where New Orleans doesn't either, A, have to take back a or Valanchunas, or B, um, just take back a really bad deal where like Miles and Powell are going back, and then suddenly they've, they don't have cap flexibility in the rebuild and stuff. So um, probably you're talking one of Siakam and Ananobi... Uh, probably Siakam, given the way those two players' values have, have changed this year. One of a Ibaka or Valanciunas, and then I mean, you're starting with a, a 2021 pick. You're probably having to kick in a, a 2023 as well. Uh, the Raptors can trade up to three future draft picks. Uh, they can't trade one until 2021. So that's where that's where the package they could put together. You know, maybe another team can top it because the Raptors don't have um, you know an A plus or even a B plus draft asset. To attach, it's really it's really going to come down to the mileage New Orleans would get from Siakam, and Delon Wright, Norman Powell. Um, so looking around the league, though, if Boston can't get involved, um, I think Siakam's a more attractive trade chip than pretty much any other team might throw on the table. Uh, depending on how you feel about Brandon Ingram or Alonzo Ball or Kyle Kuzma, um, I don't think you know would Denver put Jamal Murray on the table. Given the window that they have here, that's, I think, where it gets interesting in terms of who the best prospect uh, New Orleans might be able to get is. But it's okay, So if you're if you're Ujiri or or Bobby Webster um, and you wish you had hair and you wish you were Bobby Webster. I
0: I just got really well dressed. That's, you know, that's the most important thing is my wardrobe has uh, improved dramatically. Your the man
1: T shirt you're wearing for a second straight day has suddenly turned into a into a suit. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, what is what are you calling? Let's not say your best offer, but not and, and also not your minimum. What what is like your reasonable opening offer to, that you call up Demp's with?
0: Yeah, so it's something I, I think you know they can choose between Valentunas and and Ibaka uh, and. But let's, for our sake, say it's a baka. Just because that contract is bigger and makes the trade work more easily, Uh, and I don't think they really—I don't think the value on Valanciunas would be so much higher that it's really meaningful. So let's say Siakam, uh, Serge Ibaka, a you know a future unprotected first in two thousand twenty-one, and. OG, I would say that's maybe. I, I mean, if you want to start with, uh, I just don't think DeLon does it because he's also uh, going to be a RFA. So I think like yeah. that's the best realistic package I would throw at them to start. Maybe you say you start lower and and throw in, uh, there, but there's not even a, a more another piece you could throw in other than OG that has. Less value because you're going to Delon. DeLon's sort of the next guy, uh, and again, he's an RFA. Like the alternative is something like Siakam, Fred, and and Jonas, and a first for for uh, Davis. So those were yeah sort the of other my, those would be my two frameworks, I guess.
1: Okay, yeah, I would probably you know I think to open discussions you try not to put. Um, OG in there with the Siakamabaka pick package just in turn just for the sake of maintaining depth um, yeah. I also think there's an interesting scenario where you know it's it gets more difficult to make the math work but if you take back and, and look Etuan Moore is a player that I like but he's owed you know eight or nine he's owed slightly more than CJ Miles next year um, maybe you take him back and, and that starts to You know, if you're if you're saving New Orleans' longer-term money, I don't think you can get the math to work where you take on Solomon Hill, um, who has just a a terrible contract. Um, But yeah, I think you know, and and I actually I wanted to mention if a Davis deal, you know, whether it gets done or not with with the Raptors or another team, I think an interesting part of this is that by by requesting a trade, Anthony Davis has taken the pressure off of New Orleans. I think to try to compete this year, Um, they're five games out of a playoff spot. Uh, But they probably, if Anthony Davis comes back from injury and they're committed to holding on to him until the summer, they probably still try to push to the playoffs uh, just, you know, to keep Davis happy to get another season of playoff revenue. If he's leaving for sure, then Nikola Mirotic, Etwan Moore, Drew Holiday are all guys that could hit the market now um, with some level of attractiveness. I don't think Drew Holiday is going to be realistic for the Raptors because, again, it will require Kyle Lowry probably going back. And I don't know why New Orleans would do that. But Mirotić and Etuan Moore, you know, Etuan Moore has cooled off significantly since he torched the Raptors. Uh, but he <laughs> might be looked at That's as a, as a CJ Miles better. upgrade. Yeah, yeah. It, you would bring him in just to be able to practice defending those floaters in practice.
0: <laughs> that, was, uh, yeah, that was maybe the game that exposed what the Raptors are willing to give up the most this season, I would say. Other than yeah. Doncic, and then it, and it
1: wasn't new, like John Wall shooting 55% in the playoffs last year, kind of from mid range last year, kind of showed it too. But yeah. Um, anyway. But yeah, I think Econ Moore and Nikola Miritich would be interesting targets in that mid level salary range. Um, you know, you'd have to attach a draft asset to turn miles into Miritich or, or something like that. Um, But he's an interesting name that that could play with either of Toronto's bigs, I think, and provide some toughness in shooting. And then Etuan Moore is just a guy I've always really liked. And his numbers have come back down to earth. But um, he has a little, uh, uh, you know, a little juice as a cutter. He could shoot a little bit. He's not a bad defender. Um, So he's a guy that, you know, would be modestly interesting. He is not as interesting as Anthony Davis, though. So
0: let's keep our hopes on the Anthony Davis. I would like, yeah, I, you know, I'd be more interested in Miritich or those two guys just because it increases what you can do up front. Uh, and, yeah. and, and Now I look,
1: Moore has hit 42.2% on threes over the last two years. So he's not, you know, even if he's cooled off some, he's certainly not bad.
0: Yeah. I just don't know where he's fitting. I, I guess he becomes your, you know, third and a half wing kind of. Uh, yeah. Like
1: I think, I think he slots into those Delon CJ minutes. Yeah. Um cuz I'm assuming in a in a trade, you know, you're sending one of those guys out, but um we have to we'll talk about that rotation crunch momentarily. Uh, do you have any other thoughts on the Davis situation before we move on to
0: In general, I think they're more the Pelicans are more likely to wait until the summer just so the Celtics can get involved. I mean, that's what I would do unless you would you find the situation absolutely untenable. Um So I think this is probably going to be a lot of talk for just to warm us up for, you know June and July for when this will really take place. But you never know. I mean, I, I think the thing that the Leonard situation taught us, as you alluded to, is um, you never really know what fully what's going on internally at, at another club uh, or the Raptors for that matter. <laughs> and uh, so it is worth having the discussion. And uh, yeah, it's definitely worth the Raptors putting, if not their best foot forward, something very close to that, and in, uh, in trade talks.
1: Yeah, it's mm-hmm. worth having a discussion anyway, and at least look. I think honestly, it'd probably be worth when the deadline rolls around, even if it's not going to get done, leaking that you tried. Um, just yeah. you know, send that signal to
0: Kawhi Leonard. I sure. think that but, those, um, are, those are things that matter, especially if I, you can I, leak I could, it without without leaking the names. Yeah. Yeah, I could see about 20 teams doing that. Yeah. Uh, you know, you just get yourself in the sentence with like six teams saying showed. you know, the Raptors, Bucks, uh, Nuggets all showed interest. But New Orleans was uh, hellbent on on keeping the chip until they felt the market was would be uh, the most uh, giving to their needs.
1: All right. Let's pivot from what may be to what was. This week, uh, the biggest the biggest matchup of the week was uh, me forgetting to set my lineup all weekend in the Athletic Readers Fantasy League, and you beating me as a result. Uh, that's on me. There. That's my fault, guys. I let I You're let my to... my juggernaut of a division down.
0: At the beginning of the week, you just got to say set all starters, uh, or like all starters for every game. Uh, wow. You can do that. That seems I, cheap. Like, you no. Know, Play active players. It's not cheap. How is it cheap? Like, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, this is why fantasy football is the most popular is because you don't have to look at it every day of the week.
1: See, I like having to look at it every day of the week because I feel like that's a competitive advantage because usually I'm attentive to these things, even if I'm not heavily invested.
0: And it still is a competitive advantage. If you if you do set your lineup before the week, it's just less of one. But you still, by paying more attention, it's still a competitive advantage. But anyway, really just you lost. Is the point?
1: Yeah, I've lost. I lost. You have been floated. Um, you're third out of twenty, but you've been floated by a ridiculously easy division. Um, you are playing in the uh. mid two thousands Atlantic Division right now.
0: I lost my top draft pick this week to a season-ending injury, so uh, yeah. I'm not feeling that great. about At
1: least it's not as bad uh, as Katie's division, where that division leader has a uh, sub-500 record outside of their division, and the division has four of the bottom five teams in the league.
0: That's like uh, what NFL division is like that. There's a different one. It's sort of like the FC East, I guess, with uh, the Patriots, and then just they get, you know, Six automatic or five automatic wins every year because they play in a terrible division. Uh, another thing that happened this week,
1: Bruno Caboclo signed to yeah, attend a who would have thought? I would
0: have thought, I know you picked him up, and uh, he actually contributed well to your 7 2 loss. Yeah, 11 points, four rebounds, uh, steal two
1: blocks and an assist. On uh, what day was that, Saturday? Uh, I watched back his minutes from his two appearances with the Grizzlies. I thought in his first game he played eight minutes. Uh, he missed every shot and he got a little bit of Bruno face going um, where he was discouraged, but he was active defensively and I thought he looked good. And then I thought against Indiana and in Memphis's upset win. he looked downright like like very much like he belonged like hit three of his four threes um, was kind of switching all over defensively blocked a three point shot in a pick and pop he had no business getting out to. Um, he kind of looked like he belongs And it's a lot of fun and I'm really happy for him
0: uh, It'll be exciting When the Raptors use their 15th man's Spot to sign him for the rest of the year Yeah, there you go
1: um,
0: I don't know if the Raptors
1: are going to use that Until after the trade deadline But it's sitting there if they need it If you have to
0: keep Bruno from the Grizzlies Or, or the Rocket <laughs> it's, it, it should, right. it's an org- organizational priority Yeah yeah,
1: I mean, look—you invested in them for three and a half years. You should get some of the return, right?
0: Uh, they did. They got some uh, tax savings. Uh, at some, yeah,
1: point. I don't think that counts as a
0: return. <laughs> um, it is real money. Yeah. Anyway, able, let's talk able about to the Raptors. A
1: player for someone who they have to pay less, I don't think counts as a return. Uh,
0: yes, the Raptors <laughs> were also in
1: action. Uh, the Raptors had a pretty busy uh, four-game week. At home, they beat Sacramento. I mean, we could go over the three weeks of games since we last recorded um, because I'm a bad. to don't fan. need to do that. I,
0: but it's weeks, I thought it was only two weeks.
1: And maybe anyway, whatever. Anyway, the Raptors are 9-3 and three in the new year. Um, sorry, that's not correct. They're 10-4 and four in the new year, um, which is, you know, about what you'd expect. They've had some bad losses, like the one at San Antonio. Um, I thought the one at Indiana was fine. The one at Houston was a little worse. Uh, and they've strung together some good wins in there. Uh, yesterday, not included, that Dallas win was pretty uninspiring, uh, which means, you know, that whole the whole three game road trip, Indiana, Houston, Dallas, the defense was not particularly sharp. And they're they're going through some stuff right now as pieces come back with the rotation crunch that we're going to talk about and guys in and out of the the lineup and trying to figure out the best patterns and stuff. Uh, I would have thought a lot of that would slow the offensive side of the ball down. Uh, we've seen that happen, particularly in late game scenarios uh, with the last two games accepted where uh, they were just banging threes all over Houston and then scored effectively against Dallas. Uh, but su- it's been a little bit of a surprise to me that it seems like the unfamiliarity has reared its head more on the defensive end of late.
0: Yeah, I did not see the Houston game, uh, so I cannot comment on that. Uh, just looking at the box score, it looked like the turnovers had a pretty big uh, impact on, on what Ended up happening. Second chances as well. Uh, Yeah. Um, But certainly against Dallas when they made their comeback in the third quarter, Doncic was just slicing up the Raptors' pick-and-roll coverage. Uh, I tweeted this 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 morning. Uh, You remember the Houston game in Toronto last year, which the Raptors actually won? Uh, it, It sort of reminded me of how James Harden would get into that floater range and you'd never know if he was just going to take a 10-foot floater or if he was going to sort of signal that he was going to do that and throw a lob to Clint Capella. And that's, I mean, it's a credit to Doncic for looking that advanced this early in his career, but it's also the Raptors just not being completely locked in to the places they have to be where the, and, and communicating with one another. I think this is something that's been uh, discussed uh, frequently. I think OG Ananobi is going to be huge ultimately for this team's defensive ceiling. And he just hasn't been where you'd like him to be yet. Uh, the team is best when they're out and creating turnovers or misses and running uh, that helps their offense a 10. Uh, I mean, it helps most offenses, but that's when the Raptors are super dangerous and, In the games where they're not creating those turnovers, I think their half-court defense has been pretty uh, damn ordinary. And that's sort of scary for the playoffs when, in general, the turnovers are, you know, less teams play, prioritize getting a shot off and are a bit more conservative uh, with throwing the ball, you know, with throwing cross-court passes and, and the like.
1: Yeah, and the pace slows down by about one or two possessions per game in the playoffs usually. Um, I will say, you know, I do think there's probably an element of defense that as the games get more important, they'll be able to just kind of ratchet some of it up. Um, I agree on Ananobi being a big part of that. Uh, They're still like, they're still eighth in defensive efficiency. But we said entering the season, like this team should not really struggle based on personnel to be a top five um, defense and they've shown it for stretches like obviously their lock their ability to lock down when it matters is um pretty pronounced we just you know you don't see it you know Nick Nurse has talked about the myth of playing a 48 minute game uh, at high intensity and stuff and I, I think a little bit of that has been there and then there's some familiarity but it, honestly like I kind of run out of rope for those excuses, because I, I do think even with all those caveats, they should be playing better defensively than they have been for the last couple weeks. And I don't know, you know, I don't know if the, the time off this week where they only have one game in six days, maybe that'll help install some new wrinkles defensively, get guys healthier and stuff like that. Uh, but I would expect coming out of this kind of extended break and then heading into the, the road trip next week that, um, you know, Nick Nurse is going to have a higher... A higher bar for for what he considers good defense from these guys.
0: Here's the one excuse I think that is legitimate and could very well change in the playoffs. It's not like they're just throwing Kawhi Leonard onto the primary scorer and letting him go to work. And that makes sense for the same reason that they just rested him four games in a row. You don't want a guy who played nine games last year and just sat out four games to come back and play 36 minutes and not only play 36 minutes but play you know 75 percent of those minutes as uh you know your most high leverage defender in the toughest situation as well as carrying the offense and i think as the, when the playoffs come i mean it's a switch heavy league and the raptors are happy to switch in many cases so it's not like he's just going to be shadowing the Donchiches, Donchiches, Donchiches. Don- I don't know how that is pronounced. I well, think
1: it would still be the pronounced
0: Doncic's, same. the same. Donchich ch- don- is the plural of Donchich? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, or, or the Hardens of the world. You just can't put, in, in this NBA, you can't do that. You can't just say he's guarding him a hundred percent of the time, but you can ratchet up that number you can get it closer to 50% where he's the primary defender. Uh, And, and, you know, then there becomes more of a pressure on the offense to, uh, you know, be able to give Leonard a bit more time as not, you know, away from creation and, and being the first option. But, There is more load you can put them in in the playoffs than they're willing to put them in now, and I think that makes total sense.
1: Of course. Let's talk about that offense. Uh, I think what stood out to people from this three-game trip probably, despite the fact that the Raptors cut an 11-point lead to two points over the span of one minute against Houston and then executed pretty well offensively down the stretch against Dallas, uh, I think what stands out for people is Kawhi Leonard missing a potential game winner in Houston. Uh, Obviously, the Raptors had no business being in that game anyway and coming back from Nineteen with five minutes left to eleven with one with a couple uh, with a minute and a half left to two on the final possession. Um, but once again, it was kind of a conservative play call. One one action to get a switch holds for last shot. Okay. Overall, the Raptors' clutch numbers. We now have a pretty substantial um, in relative terms sample. The Raptors have played the third most clutch minutes in the league per NBA.com. Uh, they are fourteen and ten in games that go into the clutch, which is less than the regular winning percentage, but that's still, you know, given the variance that comes up in one in, you know, single possession games, that's not bad. Um, Their offense ranks what their offense ranks 11th in the clutch. So again, not to the same level uh, of where they expect to be and and where they are outside of the clutch, but it's also not that bad. And their assist rate is pretty average in the, in the clutch too. So um, I know that people, I think, I think, um, like psychologically we pick up the final minute of games better than the entire closeout scenario. And the Raptors are a little less effective uh, in the final minute of close games. They still, they still have a a solid net rating, but they're doing that mostly on the defensive end. Um, Is this something, you know, have you, we talked about kind of running out of patience for the defensive um, caveats. Have you run out of patience for the, um, you know, single possession end of game caveats of Lowry and Leonard still don't know how to play together that well. Um, the the team still doesn't know how to play around Leonard. Are, are you are you running thin on that at this point?
0: I mean, I'm getting there, but then you look at the Dallas game and they just made subtle tweaks that really really worked. Again, it's not a it wasn't a last possession tie or trailing by one one possession game, but they put Leonard in post up situations more, which sort of. Gets rid of the burden of him having to get to his spot. They sort of put him in his spot, which is, you know, something you can easily, you can more easily do against Dallas than some of the better teams, but it was a good look. And you saw the ball movement on Danny Green's uh, little floater there. uh, Set up by a Lowry Leonard pick and roll. Yeah. Um, The Houston possession, I just think, was poorly. I don't, we don't know exactly what the call was. It was, as Chris Black of Sportsnet pointed out, it was bizarre that they waited so late for, to set the screen. It was Norman Powell setting the screen and he waited until there was, were about four or five seconds left uh, to do so. Down to, I don't know what, in that situation, just to keep it brief, why you're playing for the last shot. There is, you're down to, you want as many chances as possible to uh tie the game and if that doesn't go you want it to them to maybe miss a free throw and have a chance at a heave or something uh and then i'm not sure why leonard dropped back to take a three-pointer for the same reason like that that was not the easiest shot there you know like we've seen Kawhi dominate in the in the mid-range and you know if he takes the same shot but it's an 18 footer instead of a 23 footer or 24 footer uh you know, it's still not a good look. You're not happy with the process. But it has a better shot of going in and extending the game. Uh, it, it also has 0% chance of winning the game unless he's fouled. And but, I think
1: I think that was probably the logic of going for three is that they hadn't played well and really didn't have much business trying to steal that game. And I, don't, I think the confidence level that they could pull it out in overtime was probably fairly low.
0: Yeah, but I think that's also a concern. Like, yeah, this, this yeah of course, good. This is a good team, and they should have the confidence that they can, uh, you know, let's say, you know, Harden's the MVP right now, so he's the best player on the floor. But let's say you have reasonable confidence your best players are uh, canceling each other out to, you know, a close degree. You should have faith that your supporting cast is better than theirs, and you can execute more than... Then the Rockets can, <clears throat> and they didn't, and they took a very difficult shot. and how much of that was coaching, how much of that was uh, Leonard's decision, how much of that was just poor execution of the play that was called, we can't know for sure, but that, you know, I think that play was a red flag in every way that it could be. But I'm not willing to just say, well, they're done. I'm not giving them any more chances because of that. Just because two days later, you see them execute fairly well. Uh, I thought the execution against Indiana without Leonard was pretty decent as well. Uh, and, and yeah, you want to see it happen in a bigger game. And, you know, we won't talk about this a lot. Their schedule after this trip is pretty soft. Uh, it's easy to see them, you know, you never want to assume anything, but it's easy to see them. You know, only losing six or seven more times for the rest of the year or something like that. It's it's totally on the table. Uh, so you won't see a lot of huge leverage games or, or not leverage, but huge uh, pressure games with great opponents. Uh, and the ones you do will probably be at home where maybe that's less of a concern uh, on the road in those types of games, you think about the ones in Boston, uh, this one in Houston, that's where you've seen the biggest issues, I think.
1: One, you mentioned in Indiana without Kawhi Leonard. Uh, oh, sorry. One, one more thing for context, just to kind of put in perspective how tough it is to score late in games. Um, within the final minute of games that are within five points... The Raptors are scoring one point per possession, so uh, an offensive rating of 100, which is well below their season mark. That's 15th in the league. It's the median amount. That's not to say the Raptors can't be better and shouldn't be better. Just for context, the median team in those situations only comes out with one point per possession. Uh, so it's a little which,
0: tough. Which is, like, for the year, the I have this in front of me, the worst offensive rating is higher than that. The Chicago Bulls score more than a point per possession. So the worst team over the course of 48 minutes scores more than the median team scores in the final minute.
1: Yeah, it's hard to score in those situations. Um, You mentioned uh, Leonard resting in Indiana. I think at this point, there's probably enough time between Leonard sitting those four four games off and your column on it that we don't need to talk about this a ton. I do want to point out, though, that the Raptors play 15 games in a row before their next back-to-back, which has to be nice for, you know, hopefully that that's not a comment. Like, they're about to play one game in six days. Then there's the All-Star break where, you know, Kawhi Leonard will probably play a half in the All-Star game, but they're eight days without an NBA game. Uh, and then, you know, it's a 15-game stretch without a back-to-back. It'll be nice to not have to talk about that for a little while.
0: I mean, unless they decide to rest them for four games at some point for, yeah. you know, just because... And that it's would be prerogative. Before, before this, anybody says anything about this, it's not just because they are not just making this up as they go along. They have things that they measure. They and the frustrating thing for us, and I'll, or I'll just say for me, but I think for a lot of people uh, in the media is that we don't know precisely what they measure. So we can only, when asked about it, we can only say vague things like. You know, they're measuring all the important metrics and they have way more data than we do. And they're also being conservative. Like, that's all we can say. Uh, And as I wrote in my column, I think it's really intelligent for any number of reasons. I do wonder about how it impacts a locker room to a certain extent. I do wonder uh, what impact it has on sort of the team building. Uh, that we've just been talking about, late game execution, defensive, uh, defensive communication. I think there's, you know, there's not no impact there. I think you know him being out for whatever number of games plus Lowry being out, there has to be some impact on the cohesion of this team uh, just from an execution point of view. And none of that is more important than Kawhi Leonard being healthy in the playoffs. And giving yourself uh, access to your ceiling.
1: Yeah, I would agree with, with most of that. You know, I felt honestly, I felt less, less like you're like you like I, I did not feel as extreme as you did in your column. Not that your column was extreme, but it's um, it's something that i thought about less, I guess, um, just because I kind of assume everyone, you know, people know their place, right? Like like if the athletic gives Eric Kareen a couple of days off. I understand, even though
0: you're no, putting up that's content. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what'd you say? Yeah. That's never happened.
1: Yeah. Never at all. Um, okay. So, um,
0: and yeah, let me just finish my thought because sure. that column was, uh, you know, received how it was received. Uh, I think, you know, I don't think that's a big issue. I don't think guys are like silently chafing at, uh, you know, Leonard getting special treatment. But the point is, he is getting special treatment. It would be a bit strange if, you know, in your place of work, you saw somebody getting special treatment and you didn't think to yourself, boy, that person is getting special treatment. I sometimes wish I got this treatment. But I don't think like the locker room is a mess and totally divided or anything like that. I just think it's not the optimal way to build a team, but this isn't an optimal situation, just like almost every other situation isn't optimal. That's all I was trying to say. All right, go on. <laughs>
1: um, okay, so let's look. I guess before we look ahead, um, the Raptors are getting close to health now. Jonas Valanciunas is still out for probably another week or two. Everyone else is back. line is back. OG Ananobi back. There is a minutes crunch now. DeLon Wright drew a DNP on Friday. Uh, CJ Miles drew a DMP on Sunday, and Greg Greg Monroe almost drew one until they needed some uh, rebounding help late and didn't have Chris Boucher uh, around to help in that role. The, the rotation was actually a tight nine for, for the bulk of uh, the Dallas game. Do you... Nick Nurse basically explained the DeLon Wright DNP CD as they need a little more size, and there's a minute's crunch, and some guys are going to be on the outside looking in. Um, I get that. I think between... You know, Fred Van Vliet's minutes may be coming down a little bit. And then Norman Powell, DeLon Wright, OG Ananobi, CJ Miles. Uh, those guys are going to have a crunch for their minutes, uh, even if the Raptors play small and minimize Greg Monroe a little bit here. Um, I think they still want to keep Patrick McCaw in the mix, but I don't think that's super realistic. Um, my, I guess my one concern, not concern, but like the, the thing that kind of colors this for me, is that in those two games where guys have been back and they've had more depth and they've had to cut guys from the rotations. The starters have still played like a pretty heavy minutes load. Um, So I think there's a little, obviously in a close game, you want Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry out there as much as you can and Pascal Siakam. And in an ideal rotation, you're rotating those three guys. So one of them's always on the floor, helping the bench offense. Um, But the minutes could probably come down at the high end, at least as the schedule softens. Um, I'm I'm curious as to your thoughts on DeLon sitting out on Friday and then CJ Miles sitting out on Sunday and who, in your mind, should be the odd man out, or whether they should keep that rotation at eleven until someone's play kind of dictates it for them?
0: I don't like the idea in general of keeping it at eleven. Um, you sort of think back to last year when Powell Norman Powell uh, lost his starting spot, got injured, and when he would come in for like those five minute spurts or three minute spurts, you just feel so much pressure. And I think it's a good way to screw up your offense. Honestly, um, and, and I do. it's like Patrick McCaw came in in that spot yeah.
1: for the end of the second quarter and immediately fouled James Harden for a three.
0: Yeah, uh, I, it's just it's a good way to make sure somebody's trying to do too much. Uh, is is the best way I can I can put it. Um, I think it should be a game to game thing. I wasn't surprised to see, like, I didn't think about Houston in general and who would be the odd man out in that game, but I wasn't surprised that DeLon Wright would be included in that group. I mean, I think he's had an uneven season, and while, you know, you know that I am a huge fan of what he can and does do, sometimes it's a bit superfluous to what the Raptors need, uh, to the extent that anything they bring is superfluous. And, you know, with the way that miles has been shooting lately, you want to try and give him, uh, the spacing, uh, you want to try to give the Raptors the spacing that he provides. And I think in, in super broad strokes that DeLon Wright And Norman Powell are similar. Uh, I have a question for you. And, and go. Uh, so, the Ask the question, but I will just say I think it should be game to game. Okay. You sort of see who's fitting in, who's not, and uh, you know, on average, I think Miles is the least productive player on in that group. Uh, once Valanciunas gets back, sh- certainly, um, but I wouldn't say it should be Miles every game just because of that, because he obviously provides something that is very important to the team uh, when everything is right.
1: Yeah, I guess that's the tough part with Miles is that he's probably the worst all around player of that group, but he has the scarcest skill. Is uh yeah. is the tough part of that. And you know, Friday, I, I think my issue with Friday was more that Miles played over Wright and then they didn't really look to get Miles involved at all in the second unit. I think he play I think he took two shots and only one of them was like kind of scripted. Not that you sell out the offense just to run plays for Miles, but if he's gonna play over a guy like Wright, you gotta kinda utilize him. Um, and I, I I don't disagree with your points about Wright. Um, I think you know if it's a ten man rotation, he probably belongs in it. Um, just because that second unit is starved for ball handling so much, if Van Vliet looks so much better working off the ball uh, and things like that. My question for you was going to be: Do you think Wright's contract status plays into this at all? Not that like they're trying to depress his value as a restricted free agency or free agent or anything like that, but like the fact that. They're invested in Fred. They're invested in OG. Miles ha- is likely to be on the roster next year or, or, you know, be be dealt or something like that. Do you think that the fact that they are, I guess, the least invested long-term in right makes him, you know, if everything else is tied, it makes sense for him to be the, the odd man out? Or is that, am I overthinking what are mostly short-term decisions?
0: Yeah, I don't see it. I think that Nurse is going to do what he thinks is best on any given night. Um, And like I said, I can see the similarities between Powell and Wright. Um, I I think that those two are more similar in a lot of ways than Powell and Miles are. Uh, So uh, they overlap more and you can talk yourself into only needing one in, in any given game. And yeah, I just don't think that's being considered on a on that aspect is as being considered on a night to night basis. I can't see it. I can't see really what what the point is. I don't think Miles, you know, long term value is more important to them than than uh, Delon Wrights is. Uh, I just I don't think it's a day to day concern for Nick Nurse. Okay.
1: Whatever. I mostly agree. It's just like it's crossed my mind a couple of times
0: more. I guess more with
1: Van Vliet's minutes not coming down, like like Van Vliet playing eighteen minutes and Wright getting a DNP. Um, I guess I thought a bit more in that way, but it's just crossed my mind a couple of times. And I think it's only because I wrote so much about DeLon Wright with the um, trade deadline pieces because everyone is trying to include DeLon Wright in a in a in packages where I don't think his value is as high to other teams as it is to the Raptors. No, I
0: don't think so either. But I think with Van Vliet, like he's hit so many big shots for this team. And even if there's more, you know, over the course of a 48 minute game, everything's important. Uh, and it's not just shot making and the willingness to take those shots. But I think those memories sort of stand out and he's been great in closing groups. Uh, and I think you know, he's a little like Lowry. It's hard to imagine him not factoring in to, uh, in a big part in, in how Raptors games uh, progress and uh, go forward. And I just, you know, while I think it's hard for me to totally justify DeLon Wright getting a DNP CD and Van Vliet playing 18 minutes, I also get it based on, on those sort of, Moments and skill set, and uh, what Van Vleet sort of brings to the team—that uh, uh, you know, intangibly, which we don't like to discuss here—but I think that is a part of the value they see in in him. Is that intangible confidence? He he seems he certainly gave them last year, and and you know, brings to the floor when he does play often.
1: Cool. Let's look ahead a little bit, just because we're getting a little long on time here. The episode three days off. On- they, uh, they will play the Milwaukee Bucks at home on Thursday. That game has big implications because right now the Raptors are um, you know tied with the Bucks in terms of the games behind in the standings. But because the Raptors have played four additional games and have two additional wins and two additional losses, the Bucks have an edge in winning percentage. Uh, the Raptors have to win Thursday and then get some fortune for Nick Nurse to coach the all-star team. The, the coaches are determined uh, by who has the best record in each conference as of February 3rd, which is Sunday. Uh, the Bucks play three games in that time. The Bucks will play at Detroit on Tuesday, at Toronto on Thursday, at Washington on Saturday, while the Raptors will host Milwaukee and um, and the Clippers on Sunday. I do find it funny that Dwayne Casey has a little bit of control over whether or not Nick Nurse goes to the All-Star game. Uh, in. And I could see, you know, I, I mean, I can't actually see it, but it would be kind of funny if Dwayne Casey was like super petty and tanked the game on Tuesday against the Bucks, uh, just to make sure Nick Nurse doesn't go to the All Star game. Um, anyway, uh, the, the odds of Nick Nurse, the odds of Nick Nurse making the All Star game are fairly slim at this point. Uh, but if the Raptors win that game, he theoretically has a chance. The Raptors will also want to win it because it will even the the season series at two two. And with how close these teams are in the standings right now, uh, that tiebreaker may end up being important. Uh, If they split the tiebreaker, it would then go to in conference record. Um and it's it's too early to predict that. But but losing that tiebreaker would not only put the Raptors behind Milwaukee in the standings, it would also mean that Milwaukee gets home court in the event of a tie. And because those two teams look like the two best teams at the Eastern Conference, uh, even with Boston coming on a little bit now, um, you know, that that's something worthwhile. And then Sunday against the Clippers, um, you know, the Clippers have come back down to earth a little bit. They're hanging on to the final playoff spot. Uh, in the West by two games. It'll be nice to see Shea Gilgis-Alexander back here. Uh, Eric, your predictions for a light two-game week? Uh,
0: I think they're going to go 2-0. It's, yeah, it's hard. I mean, game, season doesn't progress as you think it's going to progress. We didn't think they'd lose to Detroit and New Orleans at at home. Uh, But I think it's going to be, they're playing so well at home right now I think they have a 10-game winning streak or something like that at home. Uh, And that's not necessarily... I mean, that isn't to say they've been great in every one of those games. But, you know, this is a really good team. And short of playing Golden State, it's hard for me to predict them to lose a game at home unless, you know, there's some back-to-backs involved uh, and then we can talk. But... There aren't, and uh, I'm going to take them to win.
1: The last time the Raptors lost at home was December 9th to these Milwaukee Bucks. It has been 10 straight wins at home.
0: Yeah, Uh, yeah, they they have been TCB, Blake. Yeah. Taking care of it.
1: Yeah, and I think there'll be slight favorites in that one, and then heavier favorites on Super Bowl Sunday against the Clippers. Um, Obviously, the 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 big thing about Sunday's game is that with the Eagles not making the Super Bowl, uh, Kyle Lowry won't be getting himself tossed from the game with two techs in the third quarter, so he can make the start of the Super Bowl uh, line in the effect. first quarter. Bud, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, do you do you care about the Super Bowl at all? It's a uh, Patriots Rams. Patriots favored by two and a half points. Um, I don't know. I, I don't. I care less about football than most. I think I still find the the Brady legacy stuff to be interesting. Um, and I, I mean, I, I prefer. Sorry, go on. I was just going to say, I hope we get out of Scotiabank Arena in time for me to still. Like, I just hope there's a lot of food still and it's still warm by the time I get to a Super Bowl party.
0: Yeah, I don't anticipate going to a Super Bowl party. Uh, I'm sort of surprised the game on Sundays at three o'clock as opposed to, you know, is there an ABC game at like one? I don't know. Uh, maybe that's, uh, I'm surprised they would have it so close to when the Super Bowl begins. I think traditionally, they've had when they've played that day, uh, they've had it a bit earlier. Oh, you know why it's so, not earlier? So. Um,
1: the Clippers are on a back-to-back.
0: Ah. Well, the Clippers ruin...
1: Very back-to-back. rare, so in general, last. to see an afternoon back-to-back.
0: I wonder if Lawrence Frank will be there on Sunday.
1: I would bet he will
0: be. Uh, I don't really care about... This Super Bowl, Uh, I've been more into football this year than uh, in past years, but a lot of that was based on, uh, A, the Cowboys doing well, and B, Patrick Mahomes, and neither of them is in this. uh, So I'm not as invested. Uh, I'd like to see the Patriots lose, just because I like when bad things happen to Boston sports teams. Yeah. Uh, But but that's about as far as this goes. I won't be, you know, watching – Watching Brady win that game against uh, the Chiefs, uh, you know, it obviously could have gone gone either way, but that final drive in overtime was just amazing. They have my respect, (laughs) if not my, uh, if not, you know, me liking them, or my, whatever the correct phrasing is.
1: It did keep us from getting a Gronk appearance at the Royal Rumble, though. Yeah. If he retires, he's definitely doing something with wrestling.
0: Uh, Except he could go into acting, too. Like, he could be... You know, the big uh, third or fourth piece in an action movie, you would think.
1: Yeah, he could be in the next Expendables or whatever.
0: And it would be less grueling on his body.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, We don't need to talk about the Royal Rumble since we've wrote about it. Uh, I will say, right before we started recording, Lenny, the new dog at my place, was barking a lot, and I thought uh, she was trying to ruin the podcast. Uh, So I feel like we're starting to build to a Lenny-Walter feud for WrestleMania. (laughs)
0: Yeah. yeah, Walter's move is playing dead, definitely. Yeah. And uh <laughs> and just like trying trying to get the the easy pin from the other uh dog and then went at the two count, uh he rolls that into his own submission.
1: Yeah, there you go. Basically it's the Lesnar Balor finish.
0: Yeah. Take uh, the finisher,
1: kick yeah. out right into a submission. Or or hit him with the old Paul Smackage.
0: <laughs> Roll him up. Uh yeah. Um how long do you have Lenny? Do you know,
1: uh, well, we got a, a new roommate actually, and it, uh, Lenny belongs to the new roommate, so it's uh, she might be here for a little while.
0: So in per- perpetuity uh, or not? Yeah,
1: like, I mean, we've had two a... of the two of the dogs yeah. I've had in here before. This is the eighth different dog we've had here in like the last two years between fosters and, and subletters. Um, so yeah. this is the third one that belongs to a subletter, but this time there's not like a. It's kind of an open ended sublet we were just like come in and we'll figure out you know i don't know it's uh it just doesn't have like a term like it's not 3 months or 6 months or anything like that so we'll see could be permanent could be
0: short term who knows uh well hopefully it's a good dog and a good dog it's pet. a very good dog a little barky
1: but she's very cute um she's 11 and has cancer so she's uh pretty oh, low God. energy for the most part she does uh, she takes cbd oil so she's uh, she's yeah. cooler than
0: me just doing, uh, doing drugs is that for the pain
1: yeah I guess.
0: Okay. I don't know.
1: I don't talk to her about it. Um, Do you have any other party shots before we uh, before we let go here? You
0: know, there's going to be a lot of Davis chatter until February 7th, and hopefully the start of this podcast. uh, I mean, I guess the one question I should ask you, and and we can end on this. Do you think it's more likely that New Orleans waits until uh, the summer to trade them than trades them now?
1: I think if I had to guess. I would say it happens before the deadline. Even though, if I were them, I would wait until the summer. I just think the okay. I just think the that cloud of having a guy who doesn't want to be there for an entire second half of the season, and then the, I mean they'll have they'll probably have more flexibility to move him in the summer because of things like teams having extra cap space and the Celtics being able to get back in and stuff. But they might also look at it as every day that ticks by, they have less and less leverage. So.
0: And in your mind, as as is the case in my mind, does that improve the Raptors' chances at winding up with him? And now, that I wouldn't say the chances are good, but does it improve them?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, they're greater than zero, and in the summer they're probably zero. So, yeah, or maybe I mean they're not zero in the summer, but they're much yeah, larger I, right I, now than they are in the summer when Kawhi Leonard. Uh, if Kawhi Leonard leaves, the chances are pretty much zero. If Kawhi Leonard stays, you know, you're in a still in a difficult situation bidding against a greater market and a player like Siakam, who is closer to free agency, you know, maybe has a little less value. And, um, you know, your draft picks, once they kind of, I mean, that's the one nice thing, I guess, is after the draft passes, the Raptors would then be eligible to trade a 2020 first. Uh, but then if you're trading Anthony Davis to a team, their first round pick is not going to be super valuable. So. Uh, I think their chances are much better now than in the summer.
0: The only thing I disagree with is the notion that Boston is a greater market. A what? That Boston is a greater market.
1: Oh, I didn't mean like the market in Boston is better than the market
0: in Toronto. Oh, I, no, I meant the market, the it, trade market in general. Yes, it okay. expands the trade market for New Orleans. Oh, yeah. uh, I now understand. I thought you were doing some uh, out of character pro Boston uh, commentary. No, I was
1: actually. I was. It was very tough. This all uh, the only beat writer minutia we'll throw on for this episode. Uh, I was in Boston for three days when the Raptors were there. It's the fifth time I've been to Boston. I'm always very torn between how much I like the city and how much I dislike all their sports teams.
0: Uh, yeah, it's, it's a nice city. It's it's one of the places I've been to more often as a Raptors beat writer. and It's a good walking city, lots of uh, charming little areas and full of terrible sports teams. And let's just say it, terrible people. They're all terrible.
1: Yeah, with a GM us. who won't actually cash in the asset as i outlined in the trade deadline primer the danny ainge corollary he won't cash in those chips to beat your trade offer but he if he could uh then it might give the other team pause so danny ainge hanging yeah. over every trade deadline for like four years now thanks maybe yeah he just wants his q rating to go up yeah. thanks uh, former toronto blue jays third baseman danny ainge
0: <laughs> all right all right i think uh, i think we're done here.
1: yeah um, we will talk to you guys. We'll try to do one of these next week. Uh, I'm on the road, so it might be tough for timing, but we'll figure it out. We'll talk to you guys again once before the trade deadline for sure.
0: You'll be on the road when uh, Anthony Davis becomes a Raptor.
1: Yeah, I'll be the first
0: one to meet him. Yeah. It'd be great. Uh, cool, 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 cool. Cool, cool, cool. All
1: right, this is Toy. <laughs> uh, and now Lenny's barking, so we should definitely end this before Walter comes in and we have to do a pull apart brawl segment to, to end the show. Uh, All right, Eric. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.
0: See ya.